0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for TSM Press Box, opinions, analysis and the occasional
1: awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonas Siegel. Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking for a place to bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. A friend of mine once won so much money on the Super Bowl. That uh, when he took the winning and bought his wife a very expensive coat inscribed in the inside of the coat were the words, thank you, John Riggins. So why don't you also play along, have some fun from game spreads and totals to team player coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. If that's your thing, head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. One welcome back. Another episode, believe in the press row. Jonas Siegel here in Seattle. A uh, chill but gorgeous Saturday morning. Uh, Post inauguration, the sun did come up, the world didn't end. It, it felt to me a little bit like uh, when the clock turned to 2020, we were all kind of expecting the world to end and nothing happened. And well, the inauguration happened, and thankfully. Uh, Thanks to 30,000 plus troops, apparently, sitting around Washington, D.C., nothing happened. Uh, I say this often, but I will tell you, I I haven't been this uh, excited, I guess is the right word, to talk to a guest um, just because of everything that's going on in the world today and and a book that he wrote. I've been a longtime reader and follower of his. He was a frequent guest on Primetime Sports. Uh, I'll have to ask him how he was introduced because I'm sure he knows the actual words. I, I know part of them, but he is from the Toronto Star. He is the, I would imagine, the longest-serving Raptors reporter, certainly on the print side. Uh, Doug Smith. Doug, how are you? I'm good, Jonah. And yes, longest-serving. Longest-suffering, but longest-serving. So when you uh, when he used to come into McCowan's home, if you will, on the air on, on primetime, he used to introduce you with... Was it bounce, bounce, squeak, squeak? Was that was that the terminology he <laughs> yeah, used to yeah. use?
0: It was a basketball thing. Yes, absolutely right. Here is bounce, bounce, squeak, squeak, Doug Smith, the trial star.
1: And, man, like, we'll get to the book, which is freaking awesome uh, for a whole host of reasons. Um, but you've been covering the Raptors since day one, and you've seen it all, right? Like, and, and, and you've... Um, you've brought along uh, readers for the journey and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like you could, absolutely could have called the book The Toronto Raptors, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly because it's all there. When you started back in 95, you were already a reporter and you kind of raised your hand and fell into this, so to speak. Did you ever think that all these years later you'd still be covering Toronto Raptors basketball?
0: I had no, I had no idea the Toronto Raptors would be around all this time, let alone me. But yeah, I don't know. You, you don't know. At, at that point in '93 and '94, when we first when they started the bidding process, you wanted to get you wanted to get in, in on history. You know, if, if you are a reporter, you wanted to be in on the ground floor of a sport. We hadn't seen in Canada a, a sports franchise born. I don't think since the 1977 Blue Jays till 1994, 95. So, being able to chronicle history and the journey to even start a franchise was as a, as a writer, a sports reporter those opportunities don't come up. And I absolutely put my hand up.
1: And when you think about it now, it's easy to talk about it, but from a positive perspective, they had a really big mountain ahead of them. Um, It was not an easy task, cracking a new market and expansion. uh, As a result of the way the bidding unfolded, they certainly didn't get the Las Vegas Golden Knights treatment (laughs) that set them up for success. They got anything but, Uh, The complete opposite. Um, Plus you're in Canada, plus you're in Toronto. Things that, you know, people say it's a great market, it's a big city, yada, yada, yada. The reality is it's a Maple Leaf town. Yeah, and it was. It was
0: absolutely there was an awful lot of resentment towards basketball in the 95, 96 era because it was this thing that was taking winter attention away from the hockey. And at that point in the Canadian society, hockey was God. It was it. And there was, a lot, there was a lot of resentment towards guys like me who were writing stories that sort of promoted the game and told people about the sport. And there was a lot of resentment towards the organization. Even within, you know, once Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment was formed in, I guess, 98, there were people within the organization who wanted the basketball to maybe not succeed because it would take away resources, attention, and, and money from the hockey. But yeah, it was, a, it was a huge fight for the first, probably seven or eight years.
1: Support for the press rows brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Hey, it's the start of the new year, so it's time to clean up. Listen, happy 21, spoiler alert, hairy nuts are still super gross. So step into the new year with the tree standing taller and shave your boys. Manscaped is here to give you a new year's resolution that you'll actually wanna keep. The perfect package 3.0 is the below the waist grooming package you need to start your year off strong. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. So let's come out of the quarantine with clean balls thanks to the Lawn Mower 3.0. They even have super cool bundles. I don't wanna sound like a broken record but it's time to freshen up down there. The crop preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put your deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not deodorizing the smelliest part of your body at the same time? You'll love the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. Manscaped even threw in their travel shed bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And speaking of compression, the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs that are included in the package bring your underwear game to the next level. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PRESS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscape.com. Use the keyword PRESS, P-R-E-S-S. And I'm not overly focused on game one, but when you showed up to do your job and you're in press row, it's different than hockey because I'm not sure if anyone in market at the time, and I'm talking about the beginning, it doesn't have to be game one, at the beginning had media experience in the league. Where whether whether warranted or not, and by warranted I mean earned. On the hockey side, everyone in the press row is an expert. On the basketball side, fair to say that almost everybody was kind of starting at the beginning, irrespective of number of years in the business. Oh, there there were a lot of people
0: who didn't know whether the ball was blown up or stuffed, who were all of a sudden covering basketball, and it, it was hard for the for the players to deal with because some of the questions were so. I don't want to say stupid. They were just sort of they were from neophytes, they from people who didn't know. So players and coaches would get frustrated, and uh, totally understandable. You know, I'd been around the game. I played in a college and high school. had covered the '92 Dream Team. I, you know, my my first significant Olympic experience was Barcelona in '92 and the Portland tournament of America. So I had some grounding in the game, but there were people who seriously were asking, you know, is it good to be left-handed? Is it Uh, you know, what, what, why is this play called this? And players and coaches and management were, they were, it was educational for them and very, very off
1: putting at times. And you're, I don't know who, excuse me, who else from that era is still around. As you look around the press table, if you will, virtually um, who's, who's left from, from year one. On the print side,
0: there's nobody, but you know, guys like Paul Jones, Leo Routins, they were they were day oneers. Eric Smith worked as a uh, a microphone holder for a little while as a freelancer, getting scrum tape. So there are a couple broadcasters that have been around for a long time. But for for, as in the print, uh, I'm it because you know careers change, guys retire, guys move on, and there frankly, people just did basketball because it was a way to cover a beat on their way to cover say hockey. It was something that a stepping stone rather than a
1: destination. And yet here we are today, and I haven't looked at the data recently, but, you know, in a normal time, which we're certainly not in, uh, Raptors versus Maple Leafs in Toronto from a content perspective, you know, it's two heavyweights duking it out. I mean, they have certainly uh, earned their stripes, if if you will.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the basketball has probably surpassed it in that regard because there are so many different avenues and different outlets covering the team. Websites, uh, uh, personal fan sites, that kind of thing, who have access, who are on the Zoom calls, who are writing their opinions of games. and The Raptors are probably, in the NBA, one of the top three or four teams served by media. And it's great. There are so many different voices that no matter what your interest is in basketball, if you're analytics, if you're the people, if you're the, the big picture, there's something for you. And I think the, the Raptor fan is really, really well served because of the diverse number of outlets and voices that they're, they have access to.
1: You, um, the best part of the book to me is it's authentic. There, there's no doubt that it's authentic, that it's 100% you. And the reason I can tell it is the places that you go and the undertones that I picked up in in listening to it. Um, by the way, listening to it with Matt Devlin reading it is is one of the most enjoyable uh experiences I've had uh, you know ingesting content, if you will. The fact that he's doing it is is really unique because he knows the subject matter yeah and as a result as a result he hits the high points and he hits the low points and you can just tell that he gets it and there's several times through the book where you make a a funny comment or you share a funny story and you can hear him laughing in it and I, I will tell you there are numerous times where he's reading the book where I wonder, and I know the answer, but I wondered if he, if it was his story, because it absolutely could have been the way he reads oh, yeah. it. How did that come about?
0: I, uh, Penguin Penguin Random House, actually, we were looking for an, uh, a recognizable, authentic, authoritative voice. And, you know, we kicked around some different names and, you know, they, they wanted to hire a basketball person. They didn't want to assign it to a reader, like a, you know they have a stable of actors, right? And of course, cooks. that's what they do. They wanted to get somebody recognizable to Raptor fans, and when they approached Matt, he was uh, he he jumped at it. He he and Key and Nurse both said yes right off the bat. And uh, yeah, I, I listened to it too um, when it when it before it came out, and I was like astonished. I, yeah, you know a lot of those stories. Matt was sitting next to me, so they were his stories in some regard. But he did do a wonderful job with the infle- the the uh, inflection that you need. In a, in a book that long or that book that covers so many diverse chapters and
1: times. Yeah. Because he knows the subject matter so well, it's easy for him to tell the, to read the story.
0: Yeah. He, he was, he was absolutely true to the story. He like I say, he was around a lot of the things that happened that, that I write about in the book. So yeah,
1: getting him was a really, really big
0: point for me. You know, I was very proud that he agreed to, and I'm very, very glad he did because he did a wonderful job.
1: It's uh it's interesting with, with Corona right now. um, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but a lot of folks in your industry have taken to writing books or at least they've come out now. Maybe it's good luck or good fortune. The difference in my opinion, in all of them is the manner in which they're written. And there's some great stories out there uh the storyteller's ability to actually write in my opinion makes or breaks the story no matter how good it is if it's poorly written read or not read like aloud it, it it's hard to read it and your book is really really well written how difficult was it writing it compared to your typical story
0: <laughs> it, it was it was really hard because there's a lot of me in the book there's a lot of i and obviously, you avoid that when you're writing for the newspaper or even the newspaper's website. It's far more personal than I'm ever used to writing it. I'm, I'm pretty open. People know a lot about me through the, the blog that I write and the way I cover the team. But there, were, there was a lot of, oh, what do I think about this? And I needed to get drawn out of me. Uh, a young guy, Alex Long, helped me out tremendously by having conversations. You know, what do you remember about this? About? Think of this. And I would just talk through it. And that would be the, the basis of the chapter because it was, it's sort of weird, not difficult, but weird to be in the story as opposed to be
1: outside the story telling it. And when you worked with, I think you said his name was Alex, was yeah. he interviewing you to help you write it or did he help write it as well?
0: Uh, it's a little bit of both. He would, we would have conversations. He would type up notes, sometimes in paragraph form, sometimes in note form. Send it back to me, I would go over it, polish it up or clean it up or change it slightly, very slightly. But he was able to, you know, just in, like in a conversation we're having, he'd He'd like, What do you remember about this? And I'll go blah, 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 blah. And then send it back to me, and I would read it and go, Yeah, okay, that's exactly what I said, exactly what I think. So it was, it was collaborative effort, and I needed it because I'm, you get stuck trying to do 65,000 words on something you've lived for a quarter of a century. It's, it's, it sounds, it, it's a huge scope. 25 years a long time and constructing the book in the chapters as we did it was hard to remember specifics and he brought them out of me that made the stories a little bit more alive I think
1: curious how you, the way it is constructed is actually really interesting because it would have been easy just to go day one to today but you weave an interesting story clearly by design was how was that something that you worked on with the publisher? Was that something that, you know, how did that come to be? That was that was basically me at the start
0: of the very process when I was talking to Penguin Random House. They thought, okay, how how could we structure this? And I couldn't tell a chronological year one to year twenty five story because it would have been boring. Frankly, year two from year seven would have been the same story. So we needed to find some kind of theme that you could carry through twenty five different chapters, whether it was people, issues, or events. And that was one of the hardest parts was sitting down, I can't remember how many months ago, and coming up with a 25-chapter outline. Okay, we need a chapter on women. We need a chapter on the training facilities to show the evolution of the game and the team in the city. And that's the kind of thing in each chapter we try to take readers from the evolution from the start to now in in the context of the greater book you go from day one to the championship year, but each chapter goes from point A to point B too.
1: Well, it's, it works. I can tell you that. Um, It works a lot and um, it's amazing. So, so here's my jump off point. It's a little odd, Um, but the reason, um, the reason I was so impressed by the book is you went somewhere that people don't necessarily like to go. And that is this notion that players may not like Toronto. Um, That coming to Toronto and getting free agents to sign in Toronto uh, is difficult. And it's a thing. And the reason I respect your position is you declare it, you admit it's a thing, and you even say, I don't get it, I don't like it. But the reality is it's a thing. So, like, let's be honest. I don't remember your exact words, um, but you basically say, "Look, like, big effing deal." Like customs, they're on a private jet, or they're hand, they're hand-holded through it. But the reality is, whatever that thing that bothers them, the difference is a reality.
0: Yeah, it, it was it was very real in the beginning. It's it's very real. To, in some respects, even today. Back back in ninety, the late nineties, early two thousands, it was a legitimate. Point that hampered them getting players because it was just new to them. It was something that was. You're right. I I did say early in the book it bored me, but it was reality. So you, you couldn't you couldn't ignore it and say, "Oh, shut up, players just come and play," because that was their reality. Was it was difficult. And sure, back in the '90s and the 2000s, the TV was different. the The customs was a little bit different. There was. Issues of you know weather was never an issue to me because it's cold in milwaukee and it's cold everywhere it's cold no big deal chicago detroit new york whatever yeah Yeah, wherever you go the weather was not a thing but the, the life of a canadian person is different than the life of an american person and these were not players are not generally very adventuresome or they don't like change all that much and they had to change some aspects of their life so yeah that was real and the raptors had to fight it they had to fight it hard I remember Glenn Grunwald sitting with me one night showing me the book that he had done for agents that walk players through taxes and how to mitigate the tax ben- the tax penalty of living in two countries. Buy your house instead of renting it. Do this instead of doing that. Defer this income here, take it there. They physically had to publish a book to give to agents to walk their players through it just so they realize you're not, you're not coming to you're not going to Mars you're not going to give up 40% of your salary if you do this and here's how
1: you do it. But yeah, it was very real back then. I, but my point is it's actually very real today. Um, oh yeah. It's you different. bring people, you bring people to Toronto. I think you have a better than 50, 50 shot at keeping them because once they're there, they're typically pretty happy and and, and there's exceptions and forget, Forget God, because he was never going to stay anyways. But let's leave that aside for a second. It remains a problem. It's a problem for the Raptors. It's a problem for the Blue Jays. Um, To a certain extent, it's problematic for the Maple Leafs. For a whole host of different reasons, it's problematic for the Maple Leafs. But if you you look especially at NBA players who aspire to be a star, the only thing they want to do after a game is go home and watch, them center, watch themselves on SportsCenter. And I'm not talking about TSN or SportsNet, right? Like, they want to see the worldwide leader in sports lead in with their dunk, with their shot, with their what have you. And while we think it's ridiculous, it's a thing. It is absolutely, positively a thing. And it's something that Toronto is going to continue, I think, almost forever to have to overpay, if you will, pay a Toronto premium to get free agents of a certain caliber to cross the border willingly.
0: I I, I think you're absolutely right. I I do think in the last half decade, the Raptors' consistent winning has certainly helped mitigate some of that because it's a very good team. I think Mazai's strength, I wrote this in the book, Mazai's strength of will, the fact that he doesn't accept we don't want to go to Toronto as an excuse, permeates the franchise. But yeah, it's still... You got, maybe you've got to give a guy an extra year or an extra million on the base salary or the 8% raise instead of five. But that's, that's the reality. And I, it's, it's the reality because it's a different country. But I also think in the NBA, it's the reality because it's Milwaukee or it's the reality because it's Sacramento or it's the reality because our franchise has been crap for a decade. But, you know, Canada is a different beast. And it does take a special kind of guy. You know, Kyle Lowry has taken to the city. Why Leonard couldn't wait to get out for, for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, I don't guys even back you know Tracy McGrady could not get out of the cold weather fast enough. Vince Carter signed three contracts here, so it's it's a it's an individual thing, but it is in the, the big picture a Canada
1: thing. Yeah, I mean you you can absolutely say you land them by by draft or free or draft or trade. Your, in, your odds of keeping them go up dramatically.
0: Oh, I, every significant player in franchise history has re-signed here, except Kawhi Leonard, the first chance they had. Correct. Now, they all left. They left mostly in the 2000s. They left because the team sunk you know, or, or were traded away. But every player of significance from Damon Stoudemire through Kyle Lowry has
1: re-signed here the first chance they got. Maybe not a second time, but the first time they did. Yeah. And and I think part of the second time reason, in my opinion, tell me what you think is that the numbers have gotten so ridiculous that walking away from X is immaterial. Like I don't care. Like I remember when like, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Bosch left, he left money on the table, money that not just the average person, but like 99% of people would be like, Holy hell, how do you walk away from that? And the reality is, when you're talking about numbers that they are, that difference is relatively insignificant.
0: Absolutely, I remember talking to Damon Sotomayor when he resigned, was going to resign. So, sort of, all I'm worried about right now we're talking about estate taxes. We're not talking we're talking about my kids, kids, kids' life. We're not talking about mine or even my next generation of my family. And it's the same. You're right. The, the the money is, you know, Chris Bosh. If he left ten million dollars on the table here, would have made it up four times in Miami. Because sure. you're going to play three more contracts or whatever it is, so you you get it on the back end, and yeah, it looks like you're making a sacrifice. You're leaving X million dollars here, but you don't realize you're going to get it back seven years from now when you're still playing
1: playing in the NBA. Even if you're not, the numbers are so high that leaving ten million on the table for your happiness, who cares? Absolutely, it's it's absolutely. You're
0: going to make that money back in your endorsements in the city you're going to go to, and in your peace of mind, you're Correct. fine with it because. The money is absolutely you know, it's ridiculous everywhere. In all professional sports, it's ridiculous for actors, for goodness sakes, rock stars. The money is no longer the thing. The thing now is life and, and how you enjoy the people you work with every day and the, 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 the scenario you're in in the city that you choose to live in for seven or eight months a year.
1: Right. So you're the first one that I'm aware of who's actually declared it. Because in my experience, and I'm not comparing myself to you, so I'm not that ignorant, but if I put on Twitter, players don't want to come to Toronto, you know, I, I, may, I better have a coat of armor because the bullets are going to come flying. But the, the reality is it's a thing. Why do you think it – is it just Canadian pride that, like, what do you mean I can't believe it they're spoiled brats? Well, they might be spoiled brats, but guess what? It's their reality.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a little uh, uh, parochialism or, or or defensiveness to Canadians. You know, we we want to be world citizens, but we also want to be insular, and it's we we collectively take it to heart when someone rejects the country, or we think they reject the country, and you know they don't reject the country as much as they reject the situation. But you know that's semantics, probably. But I do think that. Canadian sensibilities are different. And I think it takes a, an interesting, it takes an intelligent person to understand that and to accept it and to deal with it. And yeah, if you wrote that, people will go berserk. I write it. People go, oh, yeah, well, maybe he's talking to players. And that's true. That it, it, it is true. It, it, and you you work around it. And that's why from Isaiah to Glenn to Mazai to Brian Calangelo, that group, they fought that. And
1: some worked around it better than others and some didn't. I would like to think, and you kind of touch on it, maybe you can't go there on one of the issues, but some of these things should be easy for a corporation like MLSC, given who owns them, to mitigate. Um, I'd like to think, I I know we Canadians strongly believe that there's no such thing as two-tier systems, but F off, there is, right? There, There just is. So, we should all be treated fairly, but, you know, right now, let hockey players travel around the country freely, right? Like, forget yeah. forget the numbers required, like, whatever. So, it's hard for me to believe that an issue like customs coming in and out of the country can't be handled electronically, automatically, et cetera, so that if they're traveling as a team, it's not they don't have to have their passports, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship, but when you get onto a cruise ship and you're going somewhere, well, you're usually going somewhere to international, but as you bounce from country to country to country, when you check into the cruise ship, they take your passport, they scan it, they hand it back to you and they handle customs for you on mass. So whether you're going island to island or country to country. So I would like to think that Trudeau and now Biden or whomever, could figure out a way to mitigate that on the same side with technology i would have to admit have to believe that no matter where any of these folks live there is a way to put espn on all of their devices in <laughs> there, their homes
0: there is, there is there are people when the raptors were in toronto last before last march there were people watching espn like you are okay like, there is technological ways that might be a little bit gray market area, but they still do it. And, you know, they, they have mitigated customs. Great. I was on, I got to take a charter flight back. I'll tell you, the first Raptor charter flight was January 31st, 1999. And they had played in Dallas on the 30th. And we were flying home on the 31st. I was flying commercial through Chicago. And at that point, the world was going to end. Why, okay, planes were going to drop out of the sky. And Butch Carter said, no, come on, we'll get you, me and Bill Harris from the sun, we'll put you on the charter, come home with us, avoid all the hell that's going to happen. To get on a charter in customs at that point was, when you landed in Toronto, they drove the plane to a northern a end. Northern a guy stood at the door and you handed him the blue card as you walked out to pick up your bag. And that was customs. There were no questions. There was, and who knows what was in the cargo hold of, of yep. illegal electronics or whatever. So the Raptors have found a way to. They don't. They don't clear customs. They go to a different part of the airport. Let's put it that way. It's. It's not like me and you, going across any kind of border. That's for sure.
1: Right. There's nothing you can do about language, right? The fact that if they have kids, they're going to go to school, they're going to learn French. Like there's just like that. I get the weather, as you said. I just I'd like to think that there's very smart people that can mitigate. Some of the if it's if it's mitigatable, if that's a word, uh it's done. I'd like to think that happens and that uh but there's no doubt one thing. It's all for naught if they can't win. If the that's, players can't believe that they're gonna win. That's the bottom line. And that's what turned the franchise in 2014,
0: 2015 era when they became consistent winners. Then guys started noticing a little bit more. People who were here wanted to stay a little bit more because they were building something. But in that time period from after Vince's year in 2001 to about 2007, they were horrible. I wouldn't want to come here and play. You know, you were getting marginally talented players. As a last resort, Toronto was where they went because Toronto had to pay somebody, and they paid you. And, you know, there were a bunch of guys who probably weren't NBA talent players who came through Toronto in that era because the Raptors had to fill in a roster and they couldn't get good players because the team was no good. And it was a very vicious cycle
1: hey sports media fans with the new year comes tons of new big games in sports with big games you need big stakes. kansas city steaks has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game visit kansas game gameday save up to 25 dollars on combos perfect for game day plus get free shipping with code believe b-l-e-a-v again that's b-l-e-a-v at checkout try out the snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor Mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, let's go to kansascitysteaks.com slash gameday. Use code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks. Big games. Big taste. The second thing that I love about the book and the reason I know it's authentic is that you're one of the few who admit the relationships that you've developed with players and management in your career covering the team. Um, There's a lot of folks out there who really treat it as a job and feel that being a fan is so um, abhorrent that there's no difference between cheering with pom poms and actually just appreciating the trade and liking the people. And it's yeah. clear, it's clear in the book that you have found a way to separate church and state. But it it comes across that you're a fan of certain people, you like them, uh, and you actually enjoy what you're doing. Like this does not appear to be a bah humbug profession for you.
0: No, not at all. And you're right, Jonah. Over the years, you meet very interesting people that you want to do well because they are good people. And you're around them every single day of their professional lives. So you have to develop relationships based on mutual respect relationships. Like there have been players who have been, look, I always tell people, and I wrote this, I think, in the book if a player sucks, I don't have to tell him. He knows. You know, I have to bring it to the readers, but I got to bring it in a respectful, contextual way. And I think there's, in the industry today, there's far too many screamers and there's far too many, I know this better than anybody guys. And I don't like that. And I have never handled myself that way. And I couldn't because these guys are, they're humans. They fail at their jobs every now and then, like I fail at my job every now and then. And you have to be able to bring that context that I think develops some mutual respect between subject and writer.
1: It comes across in the book that you've earned trust. And to me, that's critical in any relationship. And the reason I know it is the, the stories that you share about players calling you. One, one of the greatest ones is Vince Carter calling you one night while you're at the bar. And I could absolutely see you going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Call me back in 15 minutes. Cause you don't believe it's Vince Carter. And then holy shit that was vince carter You better fucking call me back right like oh yeah uh, um and then you know you go through a, a health episode and the team's advancing through the playoffs and you're getting phone calls or what have you from coaches or visits or like that screams of authenticity and earning trust
0: I that's being around every day and building relationships with 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 good people. And, you know, I, there is absolutely a mutual, mutual respect I've had with players from 95 to 2020. And it's again, it's being around every day and it's treating them with respect, even when you're critical of them. And I think they appreciate that. And they understand what my job is, but they also understand I'm going to do it with the right context and the right tone and the right, I don't want to say deference, but the right thought that I don't know as much as they do. Here's, here's what's going
1: on. So I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And I'm going to put you on the spot. I will say that given what I read and, and the feelings from it and listening and paying attention, that there's probably few in the Toronto marketplace who know the current cast of characters better than you do, especially those who've been around a long time. And we're sitting here on January 23rd. And the general manager, while the deal has been discussed, hinted to, suggested, it's not done, at least not publicly done. And I have a hypothesis about that, nor is Masai's. And as you can imagine, that provides, it's unusual, it provides a high degree of indigestion for Raptors fans. Oh, yeah. More so than if player X didn't have an extension There is a feeling of concern that the other two don't. What do you think that you can talk about is going on?
0: I think the Bobby Webster deal is done. I think there's a reticence to announce it during a pandemic when they're playing in Tampa. I think, I I don't know that, but that's what I firmly believe.
1: That's what I've heard as well.
0: And I think that with Mazai, I honestly think he doesn't know what he wants to do next or when he might want to do it. So there's some conflict there. Does he do a five-year deal knowing that in two years, the next great challenge might present itself to him? It's not there yet. Hell, maybe it's going to Seattle and running the team that you're going to get at some point. Maybe that's the next basketball issue. I think Baza'i's goals and his impact on the world will be far greater than basketball. I do not think his next job will be going running a basketball team but I don't know what that job will be and I don't know when it will present itself. I really think that they will do a longer, they've probably done a longer term deal with Bobby that will have him here as the constant. And I think Mazai will do a shorter term deal as he waits to find out exactly what he wants to do or what presents itself to him.
1: There have been big name people at the top of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment with varying degrees of success and varying contract lengths. The current person at the top of MLSE, I think if you tortured 99.9% of the fans, they couldn't name. Do you think that is something he could aspire to?
0: Uh, I think that that's a possibility. I'm not sure that Fisdale is going to go away. I'm not sure that they're, that they're ready for a change at the absolute top of Maple Leaf Sports. I do think the challenge Mazai has is building. And I don't know that if he takes that job, there's a chance to build because it's, everything's established. I think if he went, like, as I said, if he went and ran with Tim Laiwicki his old friend, something in Seattle in two years, that might be a, one of the sports challenges that faces him. Maybe he and his good friend, Barack Obama, find something to do globally that is socially response, social justice issues or, or race issues. Maybe that's the thing. Uh, the thing with Messiah is his interests are so varied. I don't know what he's going to do. And I don't think he does until someone says, hey, let's do this. And he goes, "Boop, yeah, I'm going to go do that.
1: So am I, am I hearing from you that you would say, you would suggest that it's likely that he'll sign some sort of extension in the absence of being hit by the idea opportunity meteorite that really excites him?
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I th- and I think you'll get it near the end of the season. He won't leave them hanging till the season, the very end of the season. But you know, time is that that time is coming. You're looking at April or May when it has to get done, and it's I'm sure not. Maybe there's an ownership stake involved, so there's negotiations at that level. Where do you get your five percent? Who do you take it from? That kind of thing. So it's it's intricate negotiations. But I do think you're going to get Bobby Webster long term, Mazai shorter term, until he waits and sees where that next Thunderbolt strikes him.
1: And I think it's really telling that these guys actually care about the optics a lot and the optics of signing a contract for X number of years, X million dollars. They don't believe is the right thing to do at the right time during a pandemic when people are sick and dying.
0: Yeah. And the the team's not included in Toronto and there's all kinds of other issues at play. You know those, Bobby and Mazai, I know extremely well. Uh, I know Mazai since 2007 when he first came here as a global scout. They are honorable men who understand the optics of their lives and what their job is and how it fits in what people perceive the franchise to be. And I don't think they're going to say, okay, we got Bobby Webster five years at six, $60 million when they don't have to. You know, the basketball side is taken care of. That's the year-to-year thing. They got Nick Nurse done. They did OG Ananobi. They did Fred Van Vliet. They'll do something with Kyle and Norm Powell at the end of the year. But the bigger picture, they can sit back and wait and say, okay, now's the time that I can publicly commit to what I privately committed to six months ago.
1: All right. so you went there, so I'll continue the thought. It wasn't my intention, but the team's in an interesting spot. Um, They're not horrible. They're not awesome. They're right smack the worst place in the world the middle the worst thing in sports is to be stuck in the middle um they clearly had their eyes on the prize for next season and that prize at least right now is not available certainly not as a free agent how much change do you expect between now and the end of the year or are they going to ride it out and just let this play out and see what happens
0: Mazai's history and Bobby's history would suggest they'll ride it out until the end of the year, because you know they made the trade for Gasol because they could win a championship. I don't think there's one trade that lets them win a championship this year, so that maybe is off the table.
1: But do they, let me, sorry, I said I would not interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. Do they think one trade would make the difference?
0: No, I think they're realistic. Okay. I think they they look at the team. They know that there are holes. They're too small. They don't rebound particularly well. They're too inconsistent on the wing. They're not, one, they're not Gasol away from even playing for a championship, they don't think. So their history would be ride it out, open up. The, the, the possibilities are far more endless in the summer as they are in the trade deadline. That's when maybe you do the thing. But I, I don't think you're going to see a significant move between now and the end of the year. It just, it just doesn't make much sense.
1: Unless you're going to go after the big T word and try and secure a better draft choice.
0: That's true, and and that would be anathema to anything Mazai's ever done. They know that it takes you so long to get to the bottom, and then so long to get back up the top. With no guarantees. With no guarantees. Everything's got to work right. Look at at Philly. It's a perfect example. They were in the toilet for years, and have still never played for a conference, even a conference championship, let alone an NBA title.
1: You write about something else in the book that Really bothers me. I don't know why, but it does. And that's Dwayne Casey. And it, first of all, I love that you say that you love the guy, and everyone can ask the question. It's a great debate. Would they have won? Had they made the trades, would they have won had he stuck around? What bothers me to no end is, and you know the guy, um, is his rejection, treatment, visceral, what have you, to Nick Nurse. Uh, I hear what you say. I, I take it in, I listen to it. I just don't, it makes no sense to me. It, it,
0: it, it, it it's, it's odd. I You know, I, I know Casey very well. I didn't realize he, it's almost petty. And, it and is. I, and I, I don't, I didn't see that in him and I was a little bit disappointed at the way it reacted in those first six or seven months after he was let go and and Nick got the job I was around the team a lot when Nick was working for Case I don't I never saw Nick doing anything behind the scenes to get the job you know what I mean he wasn't undercutting his boss so that he could replace him and for Case to react that way was very was really disappointing because it it ran counter to the guy I think he is and I know he is it was very weird I think there may have been people, I don't know, there might have been people in Casey's ear telling him how much dirt he had been done by Nick, and he bought it. But it, it, it was disappointing and ran counter to what the way Casey had comported himself for seven years or six years here.
1: What's more troublesome isn't the was, it's the is. Because but as you say in the book, to the best of your knowledge, they haven't talked.
0: Yeah, I don't think they, they've certainly never... Had any lengthy conversation it could have been you know basically a wave after a game, that's one of those weird exceptions to prove the rule kind of thing. It just it doesn't make any sense.
1: When you consider that Messiah and and Kyle kissed and made up, had a had a difficult man to man conversation. Uh, he did with um um DeRozan Demar. Sounds like they had a really good heart-to-heart. Like In those instances, there's actual reason for ill will, ill feelings, mistrust. You call it whatever you want. There's enough things there that you could say, if DeRozan said to Masai, F off, I don't ever want to talk to you again, you'd get it. You wouldn't have to convince me, but you'd get it. this this thing lasting really rubs me the wrong way because by all accounts they're actually both good people. And I, I don't think you have to have the pom poms out for the guy. I can understand that. And I can understand feeling like I got screwed. He took my opportunity. Everything they're doing was mine. No new ideas. And I'm not saying any of that's true, but I could certainly buy all of that. But at the end of the day, I don't know one single coach. Or executive who bemoans somebody on their staff rising above the opportunity when it didn't work out for them. Like,
0: it's yeah, bizarre. It's, it's, it's yeah, it is bizarre. It, it's, it's the not it's the only fact only the non it's the only non Casey part of Casey's personality that I can't rationalize and I can't understand it. And I you know I have not really ever had the really heart in depth conversation with Dwayne about Nick. We've we've talked obviously about him and their relationships but never sat down and, and got to the why and why still the still could be the fact that they don't see each other very often. I, I don't know, but the still is still there.
1: Yeah. You say in the book that you don't think they'll ever talk. I'd love to think that at some point before or after a game in a hallway, they'll pass. And it, it, it just, I, that's not the fairy tale ending and that's not how it should be. And it, it, I don't know why, as I said, I don't know why, but it really bothered me. Um, the best part of the book to me is, is somewhat sad. And that is that you do an unbelievable job telling the story and the undertones of the value of a writer and a journalist are so prevalent. You, you tell a story that I don't remember the player uh, you're in a scrum post game and everyone's around the player about something that happened in the game and another player had lost his starting position. And he's whispering in your ear in the middle of this other scrum going on, that's relationship. That's you being present. You're, you're awoken by a text by uh, Damar. Um, you've established relationships. You're at games, you write experientially Uh, You talk, you know, I I can see it. The Raptors, the champagne is flowing and you're sitting next to members of management having a beer in the locker room. All of those things happen because of experience. And what's sad to me is while we love social media, while we love the Players' Tribune, you're a dying breed. And the, the game is changing and that is... Worrisome, troublesome, but ultimately it's sad because the quality of content is going to diminish.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I get the Players Tribune, and I understand the players wanted to cut out the middleman and go right to the, you know, deliver their message, their brand to the people. I don't begrudge them that, but what I, what I, what I miss, and what I think people miss, is the chance for reporters to ask the question resulting from those statements. They're not not accountable, and they can write whatever they want in the Players' Tribune or on social media or on Instagram and never get questioned about it. Not questioned maybe critically or gotcha questions, but just expand on something where you always get the better story if you're having a conversation with a guy rather than just interviewing him. So I've always felt, and I've practiced, when you go to talk to a player, you're having a conversation. You don't go with a list of questions and rattle them off one, two, three, four, five, six, and you're done. You ask one and maybe that leads to three and maybe three's answer leads to question five and you have a conversation. That doesn't exist now. It doesn't exist in the social media world and it doesn't exist in the NBA daily coverage because you're never in those situations anymore. Seldom, seldom. I don't know whether reporters will ever get back in locker rooms. I really don't. I would be surprised. I'd be a little surprised if we did, but at least we'll be around the gym where you might be able to walk away with a guy. In the, and since March, that hasn't happened anywhere in the league.
1: Right, and I'll, I'll be honest, I bugged you the other night at halftime when you were writing a story. Um, I don't typically read game, game summations the next day. Like I, right. I just, that's not who I, 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 my time is limited. You write a feature story, on it you write uh uh, you know if bobby's deal gets announced i'm reading it if there's a trade i read it if there's a free like why because you have relationships and insights and you're going to report things that have depth and quality and that's what i think is really going to go away and storytelling is important the skill you describe of actually listening uh that's what made mr mccowan the best radio host and no it, it, it yeah, is no, because that's right. you and I both know lots of people that have somebody on whether it's Mike Babcock whether it's Dwayne Casey whether it's Sam Mitchell and they ask a question so why didn't Kyle play in the second half last night and he says well blah 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 tore his ACL and most reporters and hosts go question number two Right. Uh, who's in the game tonight, whereas somebody else were Bob to his credit and you go, holy shit. Wait, what did you just say?
0: Yeah, that's 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 the and that's the evolution of the job. You know, back in the day, they said whatever they said, you wrote down, you reported. Now you have more conversations. You're able to get into like I agree with young game stories. And, and, and that's the hardest part of our business now is. They play a game, the game's over. By the time I file my story, everybody knows who won, why they won, who played good, who had all the points, and frankly, they've heard the quotes because they're on they're online live,
1: and they've so seen the highlights. Of, they've seen they've the seen, They've
0: seen everything. They know everything. So, how to explain what happened and why? The context of covering a game is impossible, and that's the that's why we don't really do it. You write a story that's around the game, but it certainly can't be in the third quarter. They were not 4 run led by six points from DeMar DeRozan, because everybody knows that already.
1: One of the greatest characters, you you, you go through this list of great characters in the book. I'll tell you that I think my favorite is Sam Mitchell. (laughs) And um, I don't know what kind of coach he is or was. That's not who I, I just don't have that skill. But my Raptor life involves Sam Mitchell. And oh, when, he, when he's interviewed, when he's on TV, he's fantastic. You know, I'll never forget him going on morning show with uh, Landry and Stellick and just roasting those guys, right? And, and in good spirit and good fun. Um, how much fun was it covering Sam?
0: Oh, he was great. He was, you never knew what you were going to get. You might spend 45 minutes after this girl, talking about gun laws or politics or food it, it, it was fascinating because he was he had a breadth of knowledge and interest that made it fun to be around him we well, talked way too much and he was if you challenged him he might get a little defensive but i love sam I, I count him among one of my best friends to this day i talked to him the other night after he did a a wonderful martin luther king day essay he narrated it on tsn i texted him and said dude like way to go you're the best so that was great and we chatted for a while because that's the kind of conversation you could have with Sam every day, and it was something new. It made it fun to go to the, it made it fun to go to the gym because you weren't going to get the same boilerplate every afternoon.
1: I understand the challenges of the bubble. My understanding is that perhaps some of the issues going around with some of the guys, especially Pascal, is the Tampa issue. Do you have any idea? Like. The fact that they're not here – it's funny because they have this dichotomy of some guys don't want to come to Toronto, but right now the fact that they're not in Toronto, that they're in Tampa, is problematic. Help help listeners – like what's the – because I don't get it. What's the issue?
0: I don't see an issue. I really don't. They they moved from their summer homes to a city for the season, just like they moved from their summer homes to Toronto for a season. And frankly, in a lot of ways, it would be easier to move from Illinois to Florida than it would be Illinois to Canada. So, and yeah, you know, for the first couple of weeks, I had to live in hotels while I found apartments that the first couple of weeks of training camp in Toronto, they got to live in a hotel to like find an apartment. I don't see it as a thing at all. I think it's a little bit of an excuse. And I think it's a little bit of defensiveness from fans. Oh, uh, we don't even have a home. Well, they do have a home. The home is Tampa and they're living the exact same lives in Tampa that they would live in Toronto. Only it's not snowing. So I don't see that as a, Inconvenience, and I certainly don't see it as a contributing factor in the way they're playing. And if it is, they're a lot more weak, a lot more weak minded than I ever thought this group was.
1: Are you hearing it? Like, does it come up as an issue? It,
0: it doesn't. It, it, the guys we talked to who are the key players Kyle, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Pas- even Pascal to some degree, Norm Powell, Nick, it is what it is. It's, this, this is our reality. Let's deal with it. Let's go play. And So they're not saying, Oh man, I got. I'm living in a new state. I don't know how to drive to the airport. I got lost in the arena. Now I'm not hearing that from players. I'm hearing it from fans, and I'm frankly hearing it from some people in the media. But it's certainly not a thing.
1: Yeah, that's good because I didn't get. It's like, another thing I just didn't yeah. get. Um, Vince Carter, easy question. What's his legacy? I don't want to ask that question. In X number of year, I mean, everyone talks about the statute and who's going to get it first. Do you think he has regrets at all about how things ended in Toronto?
0: I think he he accepts a little bit more responsibility now than he did when it first happened, that maybe could have carried himself a little bit differently in those last 24 games or that last offseason. That's a maturation thing, I think i will say in in vince's defense all those years when he was coming here and getting absolutely killed murdered by fans and the media and people he never once lashed out and i give him all the credit because it would be just as easy to say ah oh, fuck you guys this is i'm done with i'm done with trying he never ever did he always spoke highly of the city and of his teammates and of people in the organization but i do think as time gone on he realized that okay yeah, maybe I could have been a little bit different, but I don't think he's regretful of it.
1: DeRozan, do you think he finishes in some way his career here, even if I it's did. just even if it's just the obligatory sign for a day?
0: I wish he could, but I don't think so. I and I'm not, I'm not big on the one day contracts. So you can retire a Raptor, or retire as a mm-hmm. Atlanta Falcon, or retire right. as a Maple Leaf. I'm not big on that because your legacy is what it is. I, I think he'd be a great basketball fit. But I don't think the money works, and I think there would be a little bit too much pressure on him uh, to come back, if you know what I mean. Like, it would have been – there would be great expectations that DeMar's coming home, all will be right, and I don't think he's that guy to put them over the hump right now.
1: Last question, I think. Um, I I've seen the Raptors play – more times in cities not named Toronto than in Toronto. And it is always astounding to me how many Raptors fans there are in each city, Portland, LA, Chicago, like no matter where you show up to their hotel and it's a sea of red. Um, Poor security, John, who has to kind of (laughs) peace, so to speak. How unique is that to the Raptors?
0: Uh, I, I covered baseball and I covered a little bit of football. I haven't done hockey, but it in the NBA, it's very unique. And it, it's very fascinating to me. I, there are a lot of expat Canadians who have rallied around this team who don't know basketball, but it's the Toronto Raptors. So they go and like them. Uh, in the NBA, in my travels, and I've been you know, done a lot of other games, finals, playoff series, teams, games not involving Toronto, the Raptor fans travel better than any fans in the NBA. Consistently,
1: yeah. Consistently meaning not just to city X, but almost league wide.
0: Everywhere, everywhere. Detroit's a home game. Cleveland's home game. Florida, you know, Miami. You would get all kinds of Raptor fans at Miami games. The Lakers are. I see probably seven or eight people every time at a Laker Raptor game in the same front court, front row seats that I saw the year before, and we we chat because they hey Doug, how are you? I'm Bill. I'm good to see you again. It's unique to the NBA because. And maybe it's a Canada thing. Maybe it's we rally around the one team that represents our country, but it's it's been fun because it's it lends a, a bit of juice to every road game. That gives it a little bit difference.
1: Do so the players get it? Is it impactful?
0: Oh yeah, the players understand it and appreciate it a lot. They, they they like hearing them themselves be cheered in Cleveland or Dallas or San Antonio or Milwaukee. They get a they get a hoot out of that. it, it, it gives them a little bit extra pep. I think.
1: Well, I, uh, I've tweeted it and I've said it here and I'll say it again. Uh, your book is a must read. It helps if you like basketball, it helps if you like the Raptors, but if sports is important to you and sports media interests you, and if you're listening, I would imagine that's why you're here. Um, there, there's a relationship and an authenticity in the book that comes across that I think is really, really important. And. Again, I, I can see you sitting in the locker room with Wayne Embry and, and Masai and whoever having a champagne and it's Saturday. And at some point, um, I think the Leafs are playing tonight. Maybe they're not because they played last night, but when I watched other teams, Blue Jays or Maple Leafs, especially, I don't know how many broadcasters in the future or how many members of the media would get that opportunity again. And I think it speaks volumes to you, the work you you've done and you do but there is a hint of sadness as to what slip sliding away as we move more into a, uh, temperature or colorless medium of, 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 of writing. And that it's yeah. not just about the numbers. It is about the people. It is about the stories. It's about the, you know, the fact that you guys don't have real access to players pregame or on, um, scrim uh practice days right like you can go into the locker room but it's it's a version of the locker room that's not real cuz they're in the back on their xbox or on their cell phones or doing like those things while important to the players come at a cost and engagement is going to suffer and i think that i think that at some point the leagues and the players are going to recognize that that engagement is missing and i think your book i don't think it's an in, i don't think it was an intention but for someone who's into this business and into that experience, it's apparent, and you do a really good job at it. And I would say it's one of the most important books that people should read or listen to. Uh, as a result,
0: Jonah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. those kind words, and you're, you're right. It's it's a different era we're going was when it was good, and hopefully, enough players will realize that they, as much as we need them, they need us. And maybe we get back to what we were a decade ago.
1: The good reporters are the conduit to the fans like, or hate. They just are. And uh, there's a slippery slope and it's not good. Uh, Thank you for joining me. I hope we can have you back uh, when there's interesting things to talk about. You know, it's good to see you look healthy. It sounds like you're in good health and I hope that you and your family keep Keep safe, keep healthy, get the uh, vaccination. And I uh, look forward to speaking to you again.
0: Jonah, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. And uh, yeah, I'll come back anytime. We'll make, make this happen again when something interesting is going on. Awesome, thanks. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe.